You're listening to the Tipsy Nerds Book Club Podcast, your home for the best of science fiction and fantasy with a twist. Whether you prefer your stories with dragons or aliens, your beverages shaken or stirred, fill your glass, relax, and join the conversation with your hosts, sci-fi and fantasy authors and proud tipsy nerds, Natalie Wright and R.S. Dabney. Welcome, Tipsy Nerds, epic fantasy readers, allomancers, to the Tipsy Nerds Book Club Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Wright, and in this episode, we're talking about Mistborn, a 2006 book by Brandon Sanderson. And with me, as always, is my Italian wine-sipping friend, Robin Schofield. Hi, Robin. Hey, Natalie. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Where I live right now, it is like super windy, kind of like epic windy. So I'm hoping that <laughs> we we are not having any issues today with our recording. So, but that's always interesting when yeah. you feel like I mean, the, hopefully it's Dorothy. at least not me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would be amazing. And joining us uh, today is P.L. Tavermina. She is the author of Voyant, a very cool new environmental thriller, I think you could say, with a sci-fi twist. Welcome to the show, Patty. Oh, thanks so much. I'm really happy to be here. And uh, we are looking forward to our conversation with you. But Robin, before we get too deep into the mists, what are we drinking today? Yes. So we are drinking something that we are calling Lord Ruler's Liquid Atium. It's a kind of inspired, the Lord Ruler in this story is like this godlike tyrant. His ATM is this special metal that allows someone to see into the future for a few seconds. So it's sort of this coveted thing. We've turned it into liquid. It is a take on an aviation, which we've done before, but we wanted to have something that was gray in color because it sort of equates to mist, which equates to mistborn, which is really important to the story. So <laughs> go with us on this one. <laughs> yeah, we, we get creative. And so... This one has gin because as a non-fan of gin, apparently I can't stop making gin drinks. <laughs> um, it also has Cointreau, uh, creme de violet, and lime juice. Gray in color, pretty. It's misty. It matches the world of this story, which we felt like was really important because it is such a strong world-building piece. So if you guys want to drink with us, go to our website and you will find pictures and the recipe. And it's actually pretty tasty. I don't know. I'm starting to become a little bit more sold on gin from the drinks we've been drinking. I kind of am too. I think maybe the problem was that I was drinking gin in college and I was drinking really crappy cheap gin. Yeah. <laughs> and so maybe it's like now as an adult, it's not so bad. Yeah. I got to agree. It, it is very good. And I got to say now and then I do feel like it lets us help or helps us look just a few seconds into the future. So this is a great <laughs> true. Good, good. I like the way you tied it back. <laughs> I I just feel like today I'm really working on um, the balancing my chemicals, much like the alamancers in the story <laughs> balance their metals. I'm like, I coffeed up really heavy in the morning so that I wouldn't like, that's what I do when we record these. I like balance out my alcohol with major caffeine before. So that this I'm not just a blubbering idiot. Yeah. yeah, it's a fine balance to strike, right? <laughs> it's very healthy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So healthy. <laughs> All right. Uh, Patty, why don't you, for those who maybe haven't read Mistborn before, I know I hadn't. It was a new book to me. Maybe you can give us a setup for Mistborn and what it's about. 
Sure. Um, so I actually was introduced to this book by my younger daughter, and when she she was introduced to it by one of her friends, and this was a few years back now, but she said, Mom, you have to read this book. And uh, I hadn't been reading a lot of fantasy at that point, so, but I picked it up and I started, I got sucked right in. So this is a, so the setup of this book is that basically we're in a dystopic world. It could be Earth, it might not be Earth, That that's left hazy. Let's say it's not Earth, but it's Earth-like with humans. And uh, on this dystopic world, there's a, a Lord Ruler who hoards all the atium, uh, but, uh, and, you know, and he's very uh, authoritarian, so there are these rebels working against him. There's a, a man named Kelsier, and Kelsier has these amazing powers, uh, and he takes under his wing a young woman named Vin, who also has the same powers, and what really drew me into this story is that these powers are very unique. They, I had never seen anything like them before, so it, it kind of blew my mind when I opened this book and saw that Sanderson had built this entirely new magic system. I devoured the book, learning about this new magic system with metal Metals. Basically, these people can ingest metals, and you know. And I'm a scientist, so when I'm thinking about what are they eating lead, I'm, I'm like shuddering. Right. Like, <laughs> like what, what is this craziness we've wandered into? But um, you know, and then if you go online to look up all the, it's kind of funny because if you go online to look up all the metals that these uh, characters eat, there's warnings everywhere: do not try this at home. And I think that's important <laughs> to keep in mind. <laughs> But within the story, it's fantastic. You know, different metals, you eat them, you get different powers from. There's no wands, there's no wizards, but these people get superpowers from that. And so, you know, the whole story uh, takes on good versus evil, uh, overthrowing the powers that be in order to make a better world. And, and that's the setup that I would give to people. Yeah, I think that's really good. And yeah, I would say that the magic system is probably the thing that is most unique or interesting about the book is uh, it, this his kind of unique take on magic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, it was. I certainly had never imagined anything like it before. I think that's funny, uh, like, don't ingest metals, because, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I noticed he did not include lead among his metals. Like, I'm looking, now, which ones of these are actually toxic? And it's like, okay, good, good. Iron, yeah, that's okay. You can have a little bit of iron. You right, need a copper, iron. zinc, yeah. you know. You could, yeah. <laughs> when, when Natalie and I first started this show, I think we talked about having a warning, because it is a drinking show at the beginning of every show, and we sort of phased out of that, just hoping people are responsible. But this may, may be one of those episodes where it's like, whatever you think, you are not an allomancer. Like, do not <laughs> eat the lead. <laughs> um, so we'll give that warning to people right now. Um, I agree, though. I think he, the world building in this story is so strong. And a big piece of that is that magic system. And um, I think we all agree on that. And if you go online, everybody is just sort of wowed by the creativity behind that. And not all of the characters can ingest and use the same metals. Like it's very, uh, it's simple, but complicated. And I am just, it was really refreshing to read something that I hadn't seen before. Yeah. And, and that's a really good point. Different people can use different metals. There's, I don't know, 12 or um, as, as the trilogy proceeds, you learn more and more about that system, but then he has these other systems as well. He has a, a, a that's, that's the allomancy, but then there's the ferrochemy, which again, uses metals, but they don't ingest the metals. They put them on as bands around their skin. So a different group of people have ferrochemy and then a different group of people have hemallergy, which we don't actually 
actually learn a whole lot about until the second book. But it's it's all this sort of metal derived magic. And, you know, it, it felt to me like almost like Middle Earth, where you have different groups of people, maybe different races, and they each have their own spin on sort of the central idea, which is this, you know, power through metal. And just to get nerdy, because you we are tipsy <laughs> nerds, <laughs> just to get nerdy, metals are so important biochemically. Like every enzyme in our body uses a metal at, a, at its active site in order to catalyze a reaction. So, you know, the nerd in me was like, this is just really cool. Okay. <laughs> no, I love based that. Based on what you just said, you were the perfect person to do this episode with. <laughs> We needed that and we would not, Natalie and I would not have come up with that. <laughs> no, no, I, I would, I would just make shit up because that's what I do. I don't like yeah, really know anything. Too. I just make things up. <laughs> this sound good while so I'm drinking yeah. and then later. So, oh, that's a warning though. In order to enjoy the show, you should be drinking. <laughs> okay. So, uh, well, that was a question I had, Patricia, is why did you choose this book? Like you could have chosen any on the list that we had. So what was it that drew you to talking about Mistborn? For me, it's that um, it really was when I saw it. Well, I mean, there's so many reasons. First of all, my daughter, when she showed it to me, it it cracked wide fantasy reading again, which I had I had drifted away from. I was in a book club at the time and, and we were reading. I mean, you're going to be horrified by this, but one the only rule our book club had was no science fiction or fantasy, which <laughs> that was yeah, not. No, I know, I know, it was horrible, and that was not my rule, but I I abided by the rule, and so we read other stuff, which was great as well. But when my daughter brought this to me, it's like, oh, fantasy, yeah, that might be fun, and so I have this association in my mind of us reading it together, even though she was like, I don't know, twelve or thirteen at the time, which was a lot of, you know, that's a nice warm memory for me. And then, like I said, the new magic was so cool. And then on top of all that, I just, you know, I got to say, Brandon Sanderson as an advocate for writers is phenomenal. So, you know, he does so many things to engage with his fans, but also to uh, promote writers on their journey by providing, you know, YouTube courses and all these other things to help writers develop. Uh, And then, you know, as he explains, how, you know, how to build a world, you can see his explanation and practice through his writing. So when I saw that this was a choice, it's like, oh, that's definitely the book for me. I love that book. Well, I was wondering, uh, Patricia, uh, this is kind of moving ahead of where we want to be right now, but your, in your book, uh, the main character has an ability, also has kind of like a unique ability. So like, did that influence you? Did the did Vin's ability to use the metals, her mistborn abilities, influence you in the creation of your character for Aravoyant? Because she can what she can um, see air. Is that what she can do? She can see like. That's right. Yeah, yeah. She can uh, she can see the molecular composition of air. Which I mean, physically, of course, that's hard to imagine that that would be possible. But in a in a science fiction or fantasy world, you can do that. Yeah, I, I would say absolutely. It was important to me to do something new and to get at themes. I think Sanderson also gets at some nice themes of oppression in his book. And uh, I wanted to get it at certain themes that I thought were important, specifically climate change and the climate crisis. And I wanted to do that with something new. And so it seemed to me that the idea of a person being able to see air to see the carbon dioxide that we know is driving climate change, if we could see that, the central question was, if we could see the carbon dioxide that's you know driving climate 
change, would we would we behave differently? Because if you look back to the 1800s, we, we could see manure piling up in the streets. And so we started cleaning it up. And when we can see smog, we start cleaning it up. So when we see pollution, we tend to do more about it than if we don't see it. So that's what I wanted was a magical sort of uh, based in science ability to, to see air. So, and, and then to ask, how would how would that um, how would that change uh, what what we are living right now on another world? How would it change their response to increasing carbon in the atmosphere? So yeah, I would say Vin did uh, impact my thinking on how to build something like that. Very cool. So yeah, what a unique and relevant story that you've created. Thank um, you. Yeah, Very I like cool. that a lot. Yeah. So. And we'll and we'll get back to uh, Patty's uh, book in a little bit. But Robin, one of the questions I had for you was: I know that you love your books, your stories with the band of uh, characters, kind of the oddball group yeah. that that set up <laughs> against great odds. You know, your fellowship stories. And I wondered if this one hit the mark for you. Absolutely. This group, um, Patty mentioned that you have Kel. Kelsier, and then Vin is the other main character, and they Kelsier kind of finds her and brings her into this thieving crew, and they're you know the big heist to, to overthrow the Lord Ruler, and it is that ragtag band of people that on a mission to do good. And one of the things I really liked about this story, and this is tying back to answering your question, yeah. <laughs> um, but this was from 2006, which automatically like I love all the stories we're reading that are older, but like the more modern stories, it's just such solid storytelling. And this falls into that. Um, but I really liked that even in this story, like one of the popular things, uh, right now in writing is to sort of really celebrate the anti-hero and to have nebulous characters, whether they're good or bad, you don't necessarily know, but I liked that he actually still stayed with kind of the, the trope of good versus evil. Not that characters didn't have flaws, but like you had this band of thieves, but like they were definitively the good guys I felt like. And so not only did I have my crew of misfits, but I had my like solid good versus evil story. So this like really ticked the boxes for me. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Patty? What did you, um, I mean, d- did you enjoy the, we talked about the world building and the magic, which is all excellent. Did you have favorite characters that you liked? Did you feel that it the, um, you know, the characters and their relationships were attractive to you as a reader? Yeah, I, I certainly did. You know, and I've talked about this with my daughter as well. I, I'm sorry to keep bringing her up, but we talk about this book frequently. And just last weekend, we were discussing it again. She made the point that that Vin is really uh, well-developed in terms of a, of a character arc. And uh, that got me thinking about, about Vin again and her character arc. Um, just, you know, all the ways that she changes and all the little signposts along the way that you see her changing, both within her own perception of herself, but also the people around her sort of realizing that she's becoming more than she was and as she takes that on. So I, I love that. I love the ragtag nature of the crew. I thought it was really cool that he brought in, uh, that Sanderson brought in, you know, someone who could, one of each individual power, like the person who could burn iron, the person who could burn copper and so on. He brought in like one of each kind of, and uh, then you got to see how those all fit together. So there was sort of a puzzle quality to it. Like, oh, how is the person who can push steel or whatever it is, how is that person going to play a role in the final answer? And it was, it was cool to see that. But my favorite character is the one that breaks my heart. And that, oh my gosh, it's hard for me to even say out loud, is Marsh. Kelsier's yeah. brother. He breaks my heart. He's my favorite character. 
that's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) And I like going off of what you said. um, And this goes back to Natalie's question for me of like, did this tick that box was that there's almost, I don't want to say a celebration of diversity, but it brings back in that, like that it takes somebody with from different backgrounds or people with these different qualities to come together basically to save the world. And again, that's one of those features or storylines in a book that I really love. And I think he does that so well in this story. Right. Yeah. Agreed. What were there any weaknesses of the story to you guys? Was um did was there anything that you were like, eh, about? I'd like to answer that. Yeah. If I may yeah, please. Okay. Yeah, I'll <laughs> jump in. So the first time I read this, you know, we we've talked about uh diversity and representation in uh fiction. You know, it's been sort of part of the conversation on on social media and so on for a few years now. And the first time I read this, you know, ten years ago or eight years, whenever it was, I did not realize how that the entire that the Camus or Camus, I don't know if I'm saying that name right. That's the first crew leader that Vin is with when you meet Vin. I did not, and 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 his entire crew is male, and then Vin is female, and then Vin goes on to his other crew, which is also all male, and then Vin comes on and she's female. And there are other women in the story, but not a whole lot. The the story is heavily skewed towards men, and I don't, I didn't have, I didn't notice it the first time, but what the, when I read it about eight years ago, but this time when I read it, I noticed it, and uh, and I wonder if you know if 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 it was written today, if that balance. I think things are really changing. I would be surprised if if this story was written today, even just, you know, 14 years later, if if it had that same skew. Yeah, I mean, Vin is very much, it's interesting because she comes in and she's got all the female qualities. She's small, she's quiet, she fits into the corners. She uses her ability to be invisible to her advantage. That's kind of interesting. And so... I really like her character, don't get me wrong, but I did notice that like in almost all fantasy stories, how she gets ahead is to become more womanlike. <laughs> yeah. Um she's got she literally grows her they have to grow her hair and put her in dresses and try to teach her to be a noble woman and all the characters who are really pushing the story forward aren't I mean, like she aren't women. I mean, she, so she, I don't know. It's just, there was something about that that struck me. I don't know that I can really articulate more of it than that, but it's almost like for her to become what she needs to be, she's got to come on, kind of like grow up. You've got to become a woman now kind of thing. And like, I don't know why in fantasy stories, we always have to, whether it's Katniss or like Princess Leia, we've always got to get them into like the the ball gown and make them a princess, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. and then she's literally got to be rescued from the tower and that all of that happens here. I, so I found that kind of fascinating that like. I think 2006 was like on the cusp of the change. So I think yeah. we saw some good aspects in there. I think, Patty, you made a good point. Would this be different if it were published today? And I think absolutely. I mean, publishers are looking for not not only characters, but also authors with diverse backgrounds. And I think I think that was right on that borderline where they were getting there, but there were still those weird tropey things, especially with women. And most of the casts were still white, but they were starting to shift. I think you would see something different today. I agree, Natalie, like, you know, one of Vin's things that she like learned how to do and was good at was like manipulating. Yeah. (laughs) Which is sort of like 
also, you know, falls into that, like, this is the power a woman could have. I don't know that I fully noticed it as I was reading, because I did get sucked into the book, but I can see, Patty, how on a second go through or even just talking to you guys, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I see what you're saying there. I really enjoyed the book, but I felt mostly like I was reading a notebook from a D&D dungeon master plan. And the the magic system, because I video game a lot, it felt, I was almost like expecting someone to say, well, you hit the X button and then the Y button and then, you know, hit the right bumper or the left bumper. You know what I mean? Like it kind of felt like I had a video game controller in my hand and I could picture it in like that. I don't know if that makes sense to y'all if you're not gamers, but it felt, <laughs> it felt very video gamey to me. Like, um, and so that was a downside for me. And there were times when he would go off on these quite long explanations of the magic. And I felt like it would be more successful if he just showed me the magic rather than sat and gave me this long recitation of some of this stuff. So uh-huh. that was sort of a downside for me as a reader. I felt I literally was like skipping pages, kind of going, okay, I get it. I get it. You know, get, get to something. But maybe that's just, I mean, I feel like it could have been 300 pages long instead of 600 pages long, but yeah. maybe that's just me. <laughs> well, it was interesting to read it the second time because I noticed so many things this time around that I didn't notice when I read it eight or nine years ago. And I, I mean, I would agree. Um, it, it was longer than I remembered. And I did wonder, uh, do we need some of this and some of that? But at the same time, I saw him, you know, for, for using tropes, I saw other things being done within the storytelling that I thought was that at least I hear were, you know, we are, you know, quote, not supposed to do. One of the things that struck me was he, uh, Sanderson brings in these new viewpoint characters, you know, all the way, like at page 500 and something, he brings in a character named Wallin, who you yeah. may or may not remember. Okay, you do. Yeah. So there's, this <laughs> I know, like, who the heck is Wallin? And why are we just meeting Wallin on page 529? But uh, it's this guy crawling around in the pits of Hatson, and it's it's very gripping and very visual and very tactile to me. And so I'm right there with it. And that kind of opened a door in my mind to think, okay, for all the tropes that we're seeing, and we're seeing a bunch of them, and I like a lot of these tropes, uh, we're also seeing things, you know, sort of being experimented with along the lines of storytelling that I also found valuable because it totally worked for me to have a two or three page segment from Wallin's viewpoint, and then we never hear from him again. Yeah, I agree. I didn't. That didn't bother me. I mean, yeah. I, I agree with that. I I would say that overall for me, I mean, I definitely, I felt like reading it, I, everyone that listens knows I'm a big fan of Robert Jordan and the Wheel of Time series. And Brandon Sanderson is the one that they chose to finish the Wheel of Time when Robert Jordan passed away. And when I began reading this, I felt at home right away because I could see the similarity between Brandon Sanderson's storytelling style and Robert Jordan. And I think that the audiobook is the same narrator. So that was really interesting. I felt like I was like, you know, going into something that was very familiar in a way. Um, but for me, I would say a difference that I saw between these two writers. And I think if, like, if you like A Wheel of Time and Robert Jordan and you haven't read Brandon Sanderson, you probably should because you probably would like it. But Robert Jordan's somehow able to connect to me on an emotional level. And in this particular book, I never felt emotionally connected to any of the characters. So while tons of people die and there's a lot of tragic things that happen, I was never moved emotionally by any of it. And again, that could just be me. Like it just didn't connect with me personally. Um, It's well written. It like it does everything it's supposed to do, but it didn't like move me emotionally. So I'm not sure I'd feel compelled to read more 
because I'm not sure I, you know, like cared enough about any of them to go read another 1,200 pages. Um, was that just me or was the lack of emotional connection something that either of you felt? So um, I did definitely get the D&D vibe uh, that you were mentioning earlier. And from that perspective, it felt more like, I, you know, I don't play video games, but the D&D sort of, you know, now we're in the dungeon and now we got to go here and, right. you know, oh, look, there's a guard. I definitely got all of that vibe. And in that, and it is a different place in your brain to be there. Like it it feels different to be in a D&D campaign than to sort of be living the life of a, I don't know, you know, of some emotionally uh, immersive uh, story. So I, I would, I can see exactly what you're saying saying there. Um, I haven't read Robert Jordan, but you're making me want to go out and buy one right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, we've, you know, when we talked about Game of Thrones, Robin Clare back at the very first episode, he's a writer that, again, the same wheelhouse of epic fantasy, where I just personally emotionally connect to the characters through his writing and then are, uh, you know, get angry or sad or feel the feels. And I'm just saying with this particular writer, I didn't get it's not touching me in the same way. Robin, how about you? What did you... I connected with the characters. I think one of the things that Brandon Sanderson did well was um, write a lot of really complicated storylines throughout this that he tied together really well. There were some twists and turns. Plot-wise, I mean, he's like par none, like solid story-driven writing. This was up there with the best. I did like the characters. I did think they were fleshed out. Um, and I did connect with them. Like I was, I felt sad in certain moments of this story. Um, you know, comparing it to Game of Thrones, no, emotionally, I didn't connect as much. But I probably did a little bit more than you. But I think I was also distracted just by the really like fast and rapid storyline and the the um, intrigue of the plot lines he laid and, and tied together. So. I yeah. at least was fooled enough by my lack of <laughs> emotional <laughs> connection. Like there, it, it, the story was so solid in so many other ways that it covered up for that a little bit. But I, I can totally see your point with that. Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, Robin, would you want to read more Brandon Sanderson? I actually think I would. Yeah. I mean, I think I will finish. This is a trilogy. And then I think, are there other books beyond the trilogy? that tie into this world or it's, uh, maybe not, but I, I think I do want to finish the trilogy. Um, I am intrigued by the world. I want to know more about the magic system and the characters. One of the interesting things is this is the first book in the trilogy, but it almost could be a standalone. Yeah. Also, um, it wraps up pretty nicely. Yeah. I so agree. I think for those of you who like, I would recommend it personally. And for those of you who read it and maybe you're like, well, this wasn't for me. I think you could read it finish it and still have gotten a story that you don't need to read more of if you don't want to. But then if you do love it, there's two more. So kind of a win-win. Yeah, I think this was Brandon Sanderson's, maybe his second book that was published. And he's written so many. So I definitely like his writing. And I probably would want to try to find for myself, maybe something he's written more recently. Yeah, definitely. So I think we're all this is a recommendation then we would all make. Like we would say, yeah, definitely read this book. I would recommend it for sure. And um, yeah, there are two more in this trilogy, but then he wrote a second trilogy in the same world that's several hundred years later. Yeah, and that starts with um, the Alloy of Law. So it's a, a different group of characters, but the same 
magic and sort of uh, what happened many generations following. You know, and I enjoyed this trilogy better than the second trilogy. I read both. And and at one point I thought he was going to do more with, you know, subsequent trilogies to that. But then I think he, I feel, it feels like it sort of ran out of steam or something. It just, it didn't have the same urgency in the second trilogy to me as it did as this one. So I kind of wonder if that's when he went off to the Robert Jordan stuff or the, um, you know, his Stormlight Archive and all that kind of stuff that he's been doing. Right. He's very prolific. Yeah, definitely. Many, many words. <laughs> yes, yes. And he and he does it quickly, like, which is so impressive to me as a right. writer. I think, uh-huh. I think one of the cool things about this book for people who read epic fantasy also, and I mean, this is outside of the story, but so many of the stories on our list are written by authors who are deceased. I mean, they're older books. And um, like you mentioned, Patty, this author, Brandon Sanderson, is still alive. He's interacting with people. He's um, really prolific. And so it's kind of cool to read a story of somebody that you can actually still sort of be like part of their process and see them as they're writing, you know, book one and growing and then writing, finishing the Wheel of Time series. I am intrigued by the fact that he's like almost this accessible writer still to us as readers and to writers. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, definitely cool. So, uh, Patty, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about your book, Arrowvoyant, that is available now on Kindle and on Amazon. And we'll have information about Patty's book on our website and links where you can go look at it on Amazon. What was your inspiration for Arrowvoyant, the story about a girl who can sense the chemicals in air? She can sense pollution. She can see it. Yeah, my main, like the kernel that got me started on that was um, I'm a scientist by training and I was working on, I was doing research at Caltech on um, a variety of uh, fossil fuel disasters. I was working on um, the BP spill a little bit. And then um, out here in California, we had a massive methane leak uh, in a community called Porter Ranch. These um, fossil fuel disasters, they're, they're huge. And working in that field, sometimes you feel like the fossil fuel industry just wants you to be quiet about it and not talk about it. And, uh, and that's really pervasive in terms of all the different ways that that we don't talk and don't think about fossil fuel and how intertwined it is in our lives. We use it from the we use them from the moment we wake up in the morning until the moment we go to bed. But Exxon and and all these others, they would rather that we just not worry about that and just keep driving. So I so it felt to me as a scientist like the science is being sort of squashed down and silenced. And so I thought, well, if I was going to personify that that feeling that the science of climate change you know, is being squashed. If I were to personify that, what would it look like? And and it would look like a girl who represents this science being silenced by a fossil fuel, basically a fossil fuel industry. It would look like a girl being hunted uh, down because she can speak truth to power. Uh, so that was the idea of it. And so I built her up as having this ability to see air uh, because that's how we measure sort of the change, you know, in our atmosphere. That's what's driving the climate change. So she can see the air, she can describe it, she can see things changing within it. And the more I played with it, the more fun it was because she can see more than carbon dioxide. She can see water vapor and oxygen and nitrogen and argon, everything. So she can look at the air and uh, tell you a whole story about, well, there's a, you know, there's a herd of cattle over there. I can tell that from the methane or there's, you know, a river over there and I can. So the more I I played with that power, the more fun it became. But then independently of her, I also thought we need a a historical element here too, like a geological element. So the other viewpoint in the story is a man 
who encodes all of Earth history in his DNA. And so through the course of the story, he is living four and a half billion years of Earth history. So you kind of get those two angles and just developing it. I don't know. It was just fun. Uh, I, I used sort of the, I'm heavily influenced by Star Wars from the time I was young. So um, I sort of used the Star Wars framing of, you know, it's kind of Star Wars meets Little House on the Prairie. You know, Luke is this farm boy. <laughs> it is. That's it, uh, wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> so so Murda, the, the girl, you know, she's a farm girl. She's like uh, Laura Ingalls. And um, yeah, and, and then they have to go take on the evil uh, empire. He, she and this this guy, Alphonse. So that, that's kind of where it grew from. That's fantastic. So I also, I couldn't help picturing in this, I don't know if this was any kind of influence, but I'm picturing like Star Wars, Little House on the Prairie meets Captain Planet also. <laughs> like, And I've always wanted somebody to bring Captain Planet back. And I know she's not him per se, but I love that the topic is climate change and the environment. I think we need more stories like that, especially now. And I, and, and so it's really cool. I'm really excited to read your story. Me Thank too. You. Thank you. Your character in your book, what is her name? Uh, the, the young woman is named Myrta, M-Y-R-T-A. But no one pronounces it right. And that's sort of a joke in the book. People call her Myrtle or Myrna or whatever, but it's Myrta. So Myrta, yeah. is her power like Vin and Kelsier in Mistborn? All of these um, misborn people, and um, it's genetic, right? I mean, they hone their power, but they're born with the ability. So your character, Murda, she's born with this ability? She is. And actually, one of my writing buddies made a really astute observation, I thought, that hadn't occurred to me, in that her ability is not a power. So, it, I mean, it's a power, but it's not a manipulative power. It's not that she can change anything. All she can do is perceive. Uh, she can't do anything with it except perceive and describe. So these other superpowers, like the allomancy, that's a controlling power. They can do things, right? Well, I mean, and I guess the I guess not all of them can. I guess the tin the tin ear or whatever it is, that's more of a perception. But it hadn't occurred to me that you could break powers down in terms of whether it's something you can control in the environment or just perceive about the environment. And now I'm kind of reimagining these books with that mindset. But to your question, yeah, it's a genetic. It's a genetic thing. I, I yeah, genetically engineered humans left Earth. That's the backstory. We left Earth after we killed it. We uh, genetically engineered some embryos to have these amazing abilities. And the intention there was that we wanted to prevent making the same mistakes on whatever worlds we found in the future. And that's why we gave some of our children the ability to see air and the, and the, the you know, memory of Earth history. So does your story take place on a different planet or is it a dystopian Earth that we've re-inhabited or... What is the what is the world that that is that your story is set? It, the name of the planet is Turset, and the story is about three thousand years in our future. But it's one of these stories where after we colonized it, there was this uh, regression back to sort of a pre-industrial state for a number of centuries. So um, so it looks like the eighteen hundreds, but in fact it's three thousand years from now on a colonized world. And there's a lot of you know, <laughs> as you guys know because you write this. Same kind of stuff. As you know, there's all sorts of other ideas. And I think, I think, I suspect there's a bunch of other colonized worlds out there as well that I can discover as I go that have different, different in-universe stories going on, which I think will be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the thing about like fantasy or epic fantasy. And you see this in Mistborn where 
One thing I wonder as I'm reading, and this could just be the writer in me, is the Lord ruler is the Lord ruler of this area, but how vast is it? And are there other like continents, you know? I mean, a lot of fantasy were kind of limited to one place. I know for my particular epic fantasy, I have this one really large continent I'm working with, but there are three other continents. And so it gives me as a writer a lot of places to go if I want to, if people can find a way to get to these other places. And it could be very different, you know? It could be like a whole different system. Yeah. So that's um, that's one of the cool things about reading and and writing fantasy and epic fantasy is you really have a limitless well that you can work with with all kinds of different problems you know for the people in the in the world definitely one of the questions I had for you guys is again this I may not have been seeing this because it wasn't hitting me in the fields but we have really great world building very cool magic system two of the highlights of this uh, Mistborn story um, some well-developed characters and some side characters that are very fun and likable one question I had though was were there any themes or deeper meanings that evolved for you guys as you read anything kind of like under the surface below or to the side of the kind of classic good versus evil, oppression versus the tyrant, you know, the oppressed versus the tyrant story? You know, I did have one thing about that as well. And that was basically how Vin is encouraged to grow through the... So for Vin, uh, she comes in believing that um, she will be betrayed. Uh, And she has this voice in her head saying, you cannot trust anybody, you will be betrayed. And uh, and she goes through... and And that's part of her growth is to sort of overcome that and learn to trust. But what I... What I what occurred to me this morning was toward the end, uh, she does feel ultimately betrayed. But there's a theme, I think, there's a theme of you can't just look at betrayal at, from your own selfish viewpoint. You have to understand that when somebody makes a choice, you may feel betrayed, but they made that they didn't make that choice to betray you. They made they had their own reasons for making that choice. And I think to see Vin come to that realization that she was not being betrayed, you know. She wasn't really being, it just felt that way uh, for her to realize there was more to the story than what she felt. I think that that was like a theme of sort of, I guess, coming of age. I saw a little bit of that in there, which I really, I really appreciated. Yeah, I, I think the main theme Go ahead. is what you mentioned that, you know, the good and evil, I think subtext to that is that, you know, evil may succeed. It may reign supreme for a thousand years, but that doesn't mean you don't, you never stop fighting it. I think that was a, a piece of this was just that no matter how bleak the world looks or how hopeless it looks to always keep fighting against what is wrong, which is, I know, a very well-trodden theme. But I think for me, that's one that gives me the feels. And this is yeah. not so much like a theme theme, but I, I did like this from the story because I totally relate. You know, Vin was this was this female character in this story. And there was a quote in there and it was, it is not at all Oh, wait, that was not the quote. I wrote down a couple quotes. Oh, here it is. Uh, <laughs> besides, just because they wore frills and makeup didn't mean they weren't dangerous. And for me, like, I really liked that that side of things where it was like, this girl can be this like girly girl and whatever, not girly girl, but whatever she is, but she's still this like badass and dangerous. And that's not so much a theme. It's something that to me personally, I was like, yeah, yeah, that, that doesn't make you weak. And so on a personal level, I enjoyed that. But thematically, I think what you mentioned, Patty, betrayal, and then just the good and evil piece of it. I like some of the, uh, like you said, Patty, some of the conversations that Vin had with uh, Kelsier. So Kelsier 
it was unclear whether he had been betrayed by someone that he loved, and that was a, an open question. But it, there's a comp point where they're talking about it, and he's saying, well, even if she did betray me, I still love her. That that idea, I liked that concept, that even when people do things that, that we think that hurt us, it doesn't mean you just you don't love them. Like Vin had a brother that abused her, but she still loved him. And she and I liked the way she puzzled over that. Like that was a very interesting character development piece that was going on, was her questioning how she really feels about this, her brother and about these people. So I thought that was very well done. And I, I agree on that. Yeah, very yeah. cool. So what would you say this book is comparable to? Like if you were to say, if you like this, then you'll like that kind of thing. I, how I didn't think of that beforehand, because we always talk about this. <laughs> um, I don't know that there is like a comp title per se that pops into my head, but just if you enjoy epic fantasy, for me, it's like this is a trilogy you can get into, whether it's Wheel of Time or you like Patrick Rothfuss's stories, The Name of the Wind, Game of Thrones. Like, yeah. I mean, I think people who like magic and epic worlds with good world building. Um, and then, of course, you know, the ragtag team who comes together to save the world. I think I should have thought of a comp title and I failed. <laughs> but I think just epic fantasy lovers, you should read this. To me, I could see a pretty direct line from Lord of the Rings to Robert Jordan to Brandon Sanderson. Kind of like, yeah, I can see the arc from here to there. And if you've read Robert Jordan, I think that would be definitely a very comparable title. He's uh, Sanderson is definitely more Robert Jordan than than George R. R. Martin. Yeah, and, he, and I, I think he leans more in the direction of like Patrick Rothfuss than than George Martin, or or Rothfuss leans in the direction. <laughs> yeah, Lord Ruler is like Sauron. I can right. see some of the. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I right. can mm-hmm. see some of that for sure. Yeah, and it definitely has that fellowship angle to it. I'm curious if I could ask a question. Um, yeah. Does Rothfuss, does, or not Rothfuss, does uh, Robert Jordan, does he have the same, is the similarity in sort of the good versus evil battle? Because I haven't read Robert Jordan at all. Well, so The Wheel of Time is, I think, like 13 books, and it, it puts Epic in a whole new kind of like category. Um, but it, definitely there is the the good versus evil. There's battling uh, people f- that have escaped from Xiao Ghul, I believe. It's been a while since I've read it, but yeah, there's definitely like, there's sort of like one big baddie, but there's multiple little, little mini baddies that each book kind of deals with, if that makes hmm. sense, of these like evil characters. And definitely the ragtag bunch of people. You have the original farm boys that we meet in book one. But over the course of this epic story, we meet, you know, people from all over the story world that join in their battle. And then the well-developed magic system. I mean, to me, if, if you're, if you love world building and you just get off on that, mm-hmm. I don't think there's any world building that can hold a candle to Robert Jordan. I mean, hmm. it's like, it's insane. The level of detail and his magic systems are, are different, interesting and complex, but not like this allomancy, which like I said, it feels very like video gamey to me, but I'm not saying that necessarily is a bad thing because I love video games. But mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like if you take this, then you need to do that, like push pull on off kind of thing. Felt mm-hmm. very. Um, I'd also say it felt like a male uh, magic system, and I'm saying that because it feels like most fantasy books that I read that are written by men, I don't know, there's like this masculine quality to it that feels mm-hmm. a little different than fantasy books that I read written by women. Mm-hmm. So 
And I don't know that I can really articulate that <laughs> more than just to say it. I'd have to think about it, but yeah. And and Robert Jordan goes out of his way to have a dual magic system um, in terms of there's female magic and male magic. And they're part of the same system, but they've been split in two. Hmm. And so that's a fascinating thing about his writing as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's very interesting. I mean, I could talk for weeks about Robert Jordan. And any <laughs> any of you out there who love Wheel of Time, it's like Robin with, <laughs> with Lord of the Rings. I mean, it's like, yeah. don't even ask me something about that because I'll, I'll talk way too much about it. <laughs> uh, we will Rob- have an episode on that at some point <laughs> so robin uh, did you have any questions for our listeners um so i had one and you guys can answer it too if you want to you know all of the the magic in this series is metal based it's metallic magic basically and there's three different kinds um two mainly mentioned in this and like patty said one later on that my question is, is if you were one of the people in this world, um, which magic system would you most want to um, have inherited? And that's Allomancy, Ferrochemy, I'm probably saying that wrong, and Hemallergy. Those are the three types. And I'm curious which system people would want to have for themselves and why. And if you guys want to answer that, Natalie and Patty, you can as well. Patty, what do you think? Oh, I, I'm a ferrochemist. There's no question. You put those bands on, they're beautiful. You know, it's like bracelets and you store your you store things in these bands that you wear. Definitely ferrochemy. Yeah. I think, so I don't, I'm not familiar with the last one. What was it? Hema? Hemallergy. Yeah. I'm guessing yeah. that has to do with blood? Well, you know, so Marsh, poor sad Marsh, you know, he's this great brother. And and we find at the end, this is a spoiler, but we find at the end that he has had spikes driven through his eyes and those spikes, and he's still alive. And these, these hemallergy is the use of spikes and driving spikes into bodies in order to pound a new power and to talk about a masculine magic. Yeah. It's, like yeah. stealing, it's like stealing their powers. It, yeah, it, I mean, at the end, what happens with Marsh and what he's doing to those other inquisitors is like, damn. I mean, that yeah, was yeah, hardcore. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anybody who says they want hemallergy, I need to know like <laughs> specifically why. Yeah. And, uh, like, because it's a little Explain creepy. Explain <laughs> yourself. <laughs> yeah, please. You know, I'm with Patty. I, I was, we don't get as much about the ferrochemy in this particular story as we do about the allomancy. I mean, the allomancy was cool and all, but it seemed kind of complicated to me. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> I, but I, at the end, we get a little bit more about the other uh, magic with the bracelets and the storing. I thought more attracted to me. What about yeah. you, Robin? What would you want? Probably, well, I, I agree with both of you, but I really like the idea of allomancy of basically consuming metals and it's like burning inside of you to create yeah. some effect. That just seems really like... <laughs> you actually, um, Robin, I could totally see you doing that. I could almost picture yeah. you like throwing a coin down, bouncing into the air, like, you right. know, <laughs> your little mountain climber, you know, like rogue Some crazy body. Me- metabolic stuff going on inside and then I'm like yeah. super speed or something, which... I would have, I would have, this, I would like, have my arms covered with all these like damn bracelets and jewels because that's just blingy yeah. stuff. Love, I love that anyway. So very yeah. fun. Yeah. That'd be yeah. cool. So please let us know, listeners, which yes. one, and especially if you pick hemallergy, why and what's wrong with you. So that's and, my question. And allomancy, if you pick allomancy, what are the metals you like to burn the most? Like what would be your, Ooh. you know, the ones, because some of the people like, 
two of the characters are Mistborn and they can really manipulate all the metals, but most people yeah. are um, what they call misters, right? So they only can burn one metal. So if you could only do one, what would it be? That's my question. Hmm. Yeah. And so, do I have to answer that? Uh, <laughs> well, sure, if you want to. I'm sitting here thinking, what is the most common metal in the universe so that I could have that? (laughs) Uh, That's a question for Patty. (laughs) I'm going to guess iron, but I'm not certain about that. I think that's a lot more common than some of the others. What what did you say? Iron. Yeah. What does iron do, though? We have a nickel iron core, right? So maybe nickel. Did they use nickel? I forget if they used nickel. Um, Iron was the external physical pulling metal. Okay. That's the one where they see the blue lines. And oh, yeah. it pulls them to nearby sources. Um, yeah. Well, I don't know what it does, but now I want like to be immune to lead. <laughs> be able to like, really use lead for a good purpose. So. I think <laughs> yeah, I would. would be fine. I think I'd be like Breeze. He was one of the characters. I think I'd be burning brass. Yeah. They um, can soothe other people's emotions, and not to manipulate, but to like calm people down to help but i'd also want someone burning brass around me to calm me down because i I, i'm a fire element person so i like i need a brass burning person near me all the time (laughs) (laughs) calm me down (laughs) fun yeah it was so cool to watch them to watch them interact and to think oh because it's almost like um i mean it's almost it's not random but it almost feels like how would you use soothing versus rioting under what circumstances would you use it it was was neat it was neat it's a good question right it was yeah that was fascinating i like how breeze when he was training then he was telling her that it's not all about just like manipulating someone's emotions. It's also, he was basically saying he's a psychologist in a way or something. It like he really is being aware of people and of their feelings. And it was more than just, I think what he was saying is it's more than just this magic. It's also like having empathy and being aware of people around you. So that was pretty, pretty interesting. But yeah, I'd be breeze. I'd be sitting back trying to command people to bring me wine <laughs> which was his nature <laughs> thing that he did in the book. I'm like, yeah, that's me. Bring me wine, wench. Bring me wine. <laughs> cup boy filleth the cup. Um, <laughs> speaking of filleth the cup, I think my cup's about empty. So yep. we have burned I'm through our mist. I, well, one thing. Gin. I, okay, so the more we drink and the more we talk, the more I'm like, maybe I would read more because I want to figure out what's going on with the mist. That's a mystery that is left. A mystery. (laughs) (laughs) Well, having having read books two and three, I I will say that they. I think they're worth reading. He the one of the magics we didn't really talk about were these mist wraiths, these creatures uh, that sort of adopt different forms, and uh, the mist wraiths come to play a kind of a a nice role as the series progresses. And and, um, I think I think say Zed, who we also didn't talk a whole lot about, he's the fairy chemist, but I think he also comes to play a bigger role if I'm remembering correctly. So definitely the trilogy, ta- you know, goes, ratchets up the whole thing. And so I would encourage you to read the other two. Yeah, I think probably like a lot of trilogies, book one is almost like the backstory. Mm-hmm. You know, like you need to have it to get the fuller story. Yeah. But often in book and first books of trilogies, I feel like they're a little slow because they're explaining a lot. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I have to remind myself of that sometimes when I read epic fantasy trilogies because it's like... 
But yeah, at the end, it's like everything happens so quickly and he throws in a lot of stuff and then there's an epilogue and it's like, oh, you know, there are, like this is a complete story, but there's a lot more. Yeah. Well, great fun as always to talk and about books. And uh, Patricia, very fun having you. Thank you so much oh, for being with is- us. Yeah, it's so fun to be here. I, I just love it. Thank you for having me. Our time always Absolutely. flies. Can't wait to read your book. And oh. everybody listening, go on to our website. You can find drink recipes. You can find links to Patty's book. Check it out. It's relevant to the time and it sounds really interesting. And if you're a Miss Porn fan, you know, we've, we've made some comparisons. So you, you will like this book as, as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, cheers as always. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Tipsy Nerds Book Club podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the fun with your friends and family. Love what you heard and want the fun to continue? Head over to Patreon and become a patron of the Tipsy Nerds podcast. We love our patrons. Want a recipe for a cocktail you heard here? You can find recipes as well as show notes, episode transcripts, and helpful links on our website, tipsynerdsbookclub.com. And as always, join us next week for a new episode of Libations and Geeking Out. Cheers.